Hopefully you have an outline that says the cost of following God. Now on Tuesday the world was dismayed with the murder of the Russian journalist Akadi Babchenko in Ukraine. You would have seen those reports of his death. But the dismay quickly turned to shock when Mr. Babchenko walked into a news conference on Wednesday. So dead on Tuesday. On Wednesday, he's walking into a news conference less than 24 hours after being reported dead. Uh, if you've seen the news report, it turns out that the Ukrainian authorities staged the murder of Babchenko as allegedly as a ploy to keep him safe somehow. But uh, if you ask the Russians, the Russians think it's all part of propaganda against them. Well, it's the kind of he says, she says. We'll never really know the truth. But as I thought about that story, it struck me that it reminded us that life is full of surprises, isn't it? Uh, there are many surprises that goes on in our lives. I spent the last, as I was telling Brother uh, Michael, I spent the last two hours looking for my keys. Lost them. <laughs> What's happened? Life is full of surprises like that. Some of them are good and some of them are bad. And therefore, it comes as a no, little surprise to us that the Bible, this manual for life uh, that we have, this word of God from the living God that speaks to us about our condition and our need for God, is also full of surprises. And we are in the middle of one such surprise. Uh, if you are here this morning, you know that we are in Judges chapter 20. And this morning we saw that the civil war has broken out in Israel. And as I said this morning, Israel, which has a PhD, if you like, in disobeying God, has shocked us. It is for the first time in Judges, it is standing with God to get rid of evil in the land. Evil has broken out in Gibeah. We see that in Judges 19. But instead of Israel just nodding its head towards the evil act, it's actually taking a stand. It is standing with God to get rid of the evil that has taken place, the rape and the murder of a young lady that occurred in Gibeah. And sadly, we saw this morning that instead of everyone in Israel uniting to get rid of this terrible evil, one of the tribes, Benjamin, has actually rebelled against Israel. It is protecting the evil town of Gibeah. And so Israel has been forced now not only to go to war against Gibeah, it is now going to war against the tribe of Benjamin. And verse 1 to verse 20 or verse 18 really, to verse 20 really summarizes how that war has come about. So this morning, we looked at those verses, and the sermon was about what? Standing with God. Well, this evening, we'll pick up where we left off to see how the war now unfolds. And what we're looking at this evening is the cost of following God. We'll look at the cost Israel is paying for standing with God and what it means for us as followers of Jesus. So let, look with me at verse 18 of Judges 20. And, and in, this, in this passage, there are actually four truths I want to share with you which are also in your outline about what it means for us. What, what it, what, about what it means to follow God. So the first thing, the first truth in your outline is that God wants to lead us. God wants to lead his people. God wants us to follow his lead. 
So look with me at verse 18. The military hardware of Israel, as I said, is ready now to strike at the heart of Gibeah. They are ready to go to war. But remember, this is not Israel's war. This civil war is God's war. So Israel now, being very obedient to God, they need the guidance from God. So look at verse 18. The people of Israel arose and went up to Bethel and inquired of God, who shall go up first for us to fight against the people of Benjamin? Now, we see that Bethel, of course, is that famous place where Jacob had that vision of the ladder, isn't it? And now, if you like, Jacob's children are now coming to God uh, to inquire of him. And as we think about what Israel is doing here, we are reminded that all people of God need guidance from God, isn't it? We not only need guidance from God, we desire and seek guidance from God in all areas of life. If you're truly born again, this evening, your first true impulse is to seek guidance from God. That is the default disposition of anyone who's truly converted. We want help from God in the same way a child constantly wants help from her or his parents. And we see here, as a good father, God answers his people. Let's keep on reading verse 18. And the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. We looked at that this morning. We see here that God wants to lead Israel. He answers their prayers and he says, Judah will go first. As I said this morning, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Judah, he is the tribe of the Messiah. And therefore, it's no surprise that God says, Judah should go first. We, we, we should be delighted at this as we think about this. Because, you see, God could have chosen not to answer the prayer. But God is such a God that he's not content for his children to do things on their own. Isn't it wonderful that we have a God who wants to guide us, to be our helper, to be our leader, and he gives us clear instruction in his word? What a gracious God, isn't it? Because think about it. God can easily fill up his diary with many other better things than the mundane details of your life. Have you ever considered this important question, why should God bother with you at all? Well, why should God answer your prayers? I mean, he's got so many things to do. An infinite set of things to do. Why should God care about my health? Why should he care about my, my job? Why should he care about my family at all? Why should God even bother to lead Israel or me? But surprisingly, the God of the Bible cares about us. And he has ordained prayer. Because of what the children of Israel are doing. He has ordained prayer as the means for hearing from him and getting answers. And the word of God is a guide for us, isn't it? God cares about to the point that he not only given us the Bible to guide us, Listen, he has personally given us himself. And through his spirit, he lives in us. God lives inside each and every follower of Jesus. If you're truly converted this evening, if you have reached that point of true repentance, God lives in you. I think that's mind-boggling, isn't it? It's amazing. Think about that. When we think about how amazing God is... And 
Do you think God would live in mere mortals to guide them? I mean, and we would think that knowing that truth would make us want to God every moment. Because in God we have such a loving Father. We think all of us here will start running to God. We think when we call a prayer meeting, everyone will turn up. Because we know that God loves us and wants to hear from us. But the sad reality is that many of us who claim to believe in God only follow God half-heartedly. Why is that? Because following God is costly. Truly following God as a believer will cost you. It is costly. And this is the second truth we learn in this passage. So the first truth is that God wants to lead us, but there is a but. The reason why you are not running to God this evening, or many of us don't run to God, is that following God is costly. Following God is costly. That's our second point. So we see here that God has spoken uh, to Israel. And I'm sure even among Israelites, there would have been people who have been doubting about, you know, is God really in this civil war, you know, pandits perhaps going on their television saying, all right, we are united as a country, but come on, have we thought about this angle and that angle? But the leadership of God here is very clear. And God has spoken, yeah, I'm with you, go against Benjamin. And the next day we see that Israel moves its troops closer to the city of Gibeah. Let's read verse 19. To verse 20. The people of Israel rose in the morning and encamped against Gibeah. And the men of Israel went out to fight against Benjamin. And the men of Israel drew up the battle line against them at Gibeah. So Israel is ready now to launch an attack against Gibeah. But notice that before they can go first, Benjamin is even more eager to defend the sinful town of Gibeah. They launch a preemptive strike. They come out and deliver a devastating blow against Israel. Let's read on verse 21. The people of Benjamin came out. They are attacking first out of Gibeah. They are inside this town of Gibeah. They've come out and what do they do? They destroyed on that day 22,000 men of the Israelites. Think about that. 22,000 well-armed Israeli soldiers have perished. And it seems there are... Did you notice something interesting here? It doesn't seem like there are any casualties on the side of Benjamin. What is happening? I mean, how is that possible in any war? There is no human explanation here about what has happened. Some say, oh, you know, Gibeah was a very hilly town. It's a hilly town, so they are very better equipped and they have defeated Israel because of that. So there are narrow passages going to Gibeah. That's true. And that means that the people defending the town are definitely got an advantage. That's historically, yeah, that's correct. Some say, well, you know, remember we read about those 700 left-handed slingers out of Gibeah. Perhaps they have done a great job. But nothing, friends, explains that except a single explanation. The plain answer is that God has allowed Benjamin to defeat the people of God. And and they have slaughtered 22,000 people that God himself has sent into war. God has allowed them to suffer this. Friends, God is bigger than Benjamin. We see that. But he has purposely willed 
his people to suffer, even though they are doing God's will. This is one of those important passages in the Bible that teaches all of us that following God is not a bed of roses. Sometimes people of God, you see, will suffer defeat before their enemies. Not because God is powerless, but actually it is part of following God. Now I want to emphasize this truth here, friends, because this is an important truth for all of us. And it is an uncomfortable truth, I fear. Because, you see, there are many people who become Christians because they want a comfortable life. Many people become Christians. Even the gospel is presented to people. Turn to Jesus. God is going to be with you. And you're going to live a victorious life. No suffering, no pain. You're going to be happy thereafter. Cinderella type story. Now, there is a happy thereafter and we... Uh, and of course, we, there is that. But the gospel is presented as your best life now to many people. And what happens, you see, is that a lot of people, based on that, they profess faith in Jesus. They've heard you're going to have a great life in Christ, humanly speaking. So they become Christians. Or they say the sinner's prayer, don't they? And they, I should be more accurate, they say the sinner's prayer, and they become, in theory, followers of Jesus. But what happens is that a week later, trouble comes, okay? Suffering comes, and other troubles come. And what happens is that, you know, they, people now start thinking back on their minds. I was promised a great life in Christ. But why am I suffering now? What is this old pain? And they start thinking that actually, you know, God has not lived up to the promise he gave them, a lot of them. God has become distant. And when you chat with them, they'll tell you, you know, God is very distant to me. I, I, you know, oh, he's let me down in this area. I feel cold and distant towards him. But you see, the truth of the matter is that these people, God didn't promise them that. They never really had the gospel. What they had was God giving the best life. Now, that's not the gospel. The gospel is that. <laughs> Take up the cross and follow me. The gospel says, if any man comes to Christ, he must deny himself and follow me. The gospel says, in this world, you, would ha- you will have troubles. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We need to be clear about that. Because I fear, what happens is this, if you become a if you profess, you say, sinner's prayer, because you think your life is going to be financially better, other things... That's not going to happen, okay? Even if they do, it's probably the devil helping you along to keep you in deception. But that's never going to happen. So what happens is that these people have a test of what it means to be a Christian. Of course, because they've had something of God. They've enjoyed something of the heavenly gift in the fellowship of the people. But because they've become disappointed with God, you see, what has happened is that the original awakening that God was doing in their lives, and they become disappointed of that, they can no longer be converted. They can't. They are so disappointed with God that they are doomed forever, in my view. And I think that's what the writer of the Hebrews, if you're familiar with that passage, is talking about. About those that tested the heavenly gift, that shared something of the community of people. 
once they fail to make that ultimate surrender to Christ and become disappointed in God, it is impossible to share the gospel and see them come to faith. I want to suggest to you something very important. You have a responsibility to share Jesus in a way that is biblical. We must never offer the best life now. We must be honest with people. Following Jesus might mean you giving up your job for him. Surrendering to Jesus will bring perhaps war in your family. Surrendering to Jesus will mean an early death because you've answered the call to share Christ in China or a very difficult thing, a, a difficult part of the world. The gospel is about death to self. And we must share that. Now, of course, that will turn away some people, but at the same time, we must realize God is offering you far better than the best life now. He's offering you himself. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, even those difficult circumstances, he will sustain you. Because where else do you want to be apart from a life in which God is living in you? So we have a responsibility, and we have a responsibility as a church here. As individuals, as you talk to your friends, but also as a church, as we hold what's being preached from this pulpit. We must ensure that is what's being preached from the pulpit. The true gospel, that we must die to self and cling to Christ. Because if we don't do that, if we don't do that, I fear we do more harm to people than good. We must make it clear that following God means he leads and you follow. And God leading you through Christ is costly. God is not in your life to pamper you. He is God and you must now die to self to follow him. It's a hard gospel. But it is the truth. But this raises the question. You have to ask this question. I've asked this question many times. Why is following God costly? I mean, why does God make it so costly? Why? I mean, surely it would make more sense, humanly speaking to me, if it just was easy. I mean, why make it costly? Why death to self? And maybe you're asking the same question in your life. I am trying to serve God. I ask God this sometimes. God, I'm trying to do your job here. Why are you making things so difficult for me? I, I work for you. And maybe God has called you in some place at work, and, you know, maybe as a teacher or, or as a mother. You know, God has called you. You're trying to be faithful as a mother. And it's very difficult and you're asking, God, I'm trying to be faithful here. But problems just keep increasing. What are you up to? I'm on your side. We ask those questions, don't we? I think the answer is our third point. Because God uses trials, painful trials, to help us actually follow him. That's the third point. So the first point is God wants to lead us. Great news. But actually the truth is, none of us, you know, following God is costly. So we are a bit hesitant on this. That's the second point. But why is it costly? This is the third point, isn't it? God uses trials to help us follow him. The other way to think about that point is that God uses trials to make you more like him. 
You see, the cost of following God is part of how God helps us to make us follow him. And we see that here, don't we? Look at, look at this passage again. The people of Israel, they have suffered a terrible defeat. The first round, they've gone out terrible. 22 lives lost. And like all human beings, they are absolutely devastated by the result. Listen, there are 400,000 people. This is, should be a straightforward mop-up joke against uh, the tribe of Benjamin with 26,000. It's, it's a no contest. But they have suffered this loss equivalent to the whole size, really, of Benjamin. And they are devastated by the result. But notice that instead of drowning their sorrows with alcohol or ordering a pity party, as many of us tend to do, they actually take courage and they seek humbly the help of God again. Look at verse 22 to verse 23. But the people, the men of Israel, a wonderful verse, one of my favorite verses in, in Judges, took courage in face of defeat and again formed the battle line in the same place, in the same place where they had formed it on the first day. Verse 23 says this, And the people of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until the evening. And they inquired of the Lord, Shall we again draw near to fight against our brothers, the people of Benjamin? Do you notice something here? This is a different Israel. We said Israel surprises us here. They are devoted. But notice again, Israel is growing here, isn't it? It's growing in character, and it's become more prayerful. Did you notice first time they went out, they just asked God. But now, what do they do? Notice they are praying now, aren't they? Notice how they are praying. They, they are not just talking to God. They are weeping before God. It's almost like this pain and defeat they've suffered of 22,000 men. Hasn't made them turn away from God. It's deepened them. They are now crying out to the Lord. They are saying, Lord, where are you in this? Help us. We want to see you move mightily. It has deepened their devotion. What we're seeing here is that God is taking the armor and every blow of pain on Israel is fashioning them to become more like himself. And he's not finished. Let's read on verse 23 to verse 25. And the Lord said, go up against them. Verse 24. So the people of Israel came near against the people of Benjamin the second day. And Benjamin went against them out of Gibeah on the second day. Another preemptive strike and destroyed 18,000 men of the people of Israel. And all these were men who drew the sword. In other words, these are soldiers being killed. Once again, we see here that God leads them into the fray and the result is the same. Israel has now lost, are you counting? How many have they lost? 40,000. 40,000. More than the 26,000 soldiers that Benjamin even had. Not a single loss on the side of Benjamin. Following God has come at a huge price. Now, I think all of us can understand at this point if Israel just now throws in the towel. We have tried to plant the church. It's not working. We've lost everyone. Let's just go home. I have tried to serve you at work, but my boss has just become such a massive bully. It's just, I just want to give up now. I just want to go home. We could understand that, can't we? We have given people advice saying, look, friend, this is, 
I'm praying with you, but this looks bad. Go home now. I think, you know, you're still a child of God. We can understand that. There's no shame at this point, I think, Israel walking away, humanly speaking. Because it might be that humanly speaking, they just can't cope. And we can understand that. That you can understand if they have doubts now. Look, is this, you know, you, I can imagine there are people coming around and maybe saying, guys, Eliezer, I mean, are we going to write I priest here? Is he hearing correctly there? Is our pastor really? You know, they, they would have doubts, wouldn't they? Humanly speaking. Do we have the right guy there? Maybe we should sack the general. I mean, what was going on here? A public inquiry is needed now before we do any next steps. We can understand all of that. But notice to our surprise here, there is no grumbling. There's no people turning in on each other. His blame game is not here. We see that quite often in our lives, don't we? Israel actually, even now with 40,000 soldiers, it seems they turn to God now. Notice, with even more faith than before. Let's read on verse 26. 26. Then all the people of Israel, the whole army, went up to Bethel and wept. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. I mean, it's like an all-night vigil and they're just going at it and they're just worshipping God through the night. It's like a revival meeting, isn't it? One of those, you see, uh, those uh, crusades, they're just going at it now. They're weeping, they're praying, they're fasting. You think that these guys uh, have not suffered any defeat. But what has happened is that, you know, they are now so devoted to God. Uh, all the affliction, God has used it, isn't it, to draw them closer to himself. Israel is being revived. And God is making them what he always intended them to be. And what a turnaround. Remember, this is the same country of Judges 19. This is a nation of corrupt priests we met in Judges 17 and 18 and 19. It is a nation of broken families, homosexual towns, rapists and murderers. But God here is in Judges 20 is working as a great surgeon, you know, to remove all the dirt of sin with the painful knife of affliction, to make them like himself. And this is also true for God's people today, isn't it? God's primary purpose in the lives of his people is not to make us comfortable friends, but to make us follow him. You get that? God is not in the business of making you comfortable as the end. He's in the business of making you follow him, become like him. If it means making you jobless to do it, you do it. If it means keeping that sister in your family who doesn't talk to you, to remain like that so that you can grow deeper in prayer, he will do it. You'll be well, no, why did the Lord save my sister? Oh, I've been praying. The Lord is keeping your sister like that for you, friend, for you to deepen your prayer life. God will do anything to grow us. Oh, why doesn't the Lord save the UK? Oh, what a terrible country. For you, friend, for you. 
The UK is depraved for you, friend. To deepen your prayer for Theresa May, perhaps. To deepen your evangelism. To make you part of the answer. It is a privilege, believe it or not. Think about that. He wants to move you from mourning to repentance and to use you as part of the answer. God is not about making us comfortable, but to making us follow. Here is how one poet puts it. Here's a poem for you. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man, that all the world shall be amazed, watch God's methods, watch his ways, watch how God ruthlessly perfects the person he royally elects, watch how God amers him and hates him, and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay, which only God understands. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands, God bends but never breaks. When he's good, he undertakes. How God uses whom he chooses and with every purpose fuses him. But every act induces him to try out his splendor. God knows what he is about. The poet is telling us that following God is a process of God humbling us and fashioning us. And this sometimes involves hammers, painful hammers, mighty blows in your life. But the good news is that God bends but never breaks. In short, we can say with King Solomon in Proverbs 20 verse 30, blows that wound cleans away evil. Strokes make clean the innermost parts. Why is that? Because as Solomon says somewhere else, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Proverbs 27, verse 7. And that leads us to the main lesson of this passage. So we know God wants to lead us, right? That's point number one. But following God is costly. And we have learned that God actually, the reason it's cost is because God uses trials to make us follow him. So how then should we respond to that? We must persevere following God. We must go on following God. Look at verse 27 to verse 29. You see, the people of Israel have rededicated themselves. And notice now they go direct to God for the third time to ask for his guidance. Verse 27 says this, And the people of Israel inquired of the Lord. For the ark of the covenant was there in those days. And Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, son of Aaron, ministered before it in those days. So they go to God and say, Shall we go out once more to battle against our brothers, the people of Benjamin? Or shall we cease? As I said before, these things are happening in the early part of Judges. So Phinehas is still the high priest. It's very early. It's probably before Judges chapter 2 even. And so the people of Israel have gone out to the high priest to, to ask. You know, They're asking, should we keep fighting? Now, I just want to make the point that this is not a sign of doubt now. It is actually a sign, a realistic sign of a faith that is getting heavier. It is looking to God to lift it up. And they are coming to God. Lord, look, we've been going at this for three. It's an honest prayer. Should we continue still? We want to. Or should we cease now? 
And God knows what Israel can bear, doesn't he? Thank God we have a God who knows what we can bear. And so he speaks the words that they just now need to hear. Look at this read on verse 28. And the Lord said, Go up, for tomorrow I'll give them into your hand. They hear those wonderful words. God is saying, Victory is coming, not day after, not look from now, not five more battles. It's going to come tomorrow. And let us note now that if you've been following this passage, this is the first time actually that God has guaranteed them victory. Before he just said, go out. Before he said, Judah will lead you. Should we, second time he says, go out there. Now for the third time God says, I will give you victory tomorrow. Sometimes God does that. He gives us guarantees. Now the question here is, has Israel grown so devoted to God through his painful defeats to trust God for the third time? Or will they now say, <laughs> come on, I know you're saying it's tomorrow, but we've heard this before. I think we should just go home. Well, the good answer here is that actually they have grown. Those faithful wounds of a friend has fashioned them. Into, they are becoming more like Christ, aren't they? And they go in now. It is beautiful to see. 29 to verse 30. Let's read on. Verse 29. So Israel set men in ambush around Gibeah. And the people of Israel went up against the people of Benjamin on the third day and set themselves in array against Gibeah as at other times. I love that. As at other times. Israel is following God just as it's followed God before. It is persevering. And it knows victory is as good as done. And come next week on Sunday morning. You see that God will deliver an amazing victory for Israel. But the key truth for us here. We need to learn from the, as we end on verse 30. Is simply this. That following God means keep going. No matter what. As Israel is doing. And notice here that for Israel to continue going, it means fighting in God's name. It is at the risk of losing their own lives. They are keep fighting this holy warfare for God. And you must do the same. And as we learned this morning, this doesn't mean that we should take Israel as our example. No. As such, no, it means that Israel actually here isn't fundamentally as an example for us. Israel here is pointing us forward to Jesus, isn't it? We made that point that Jesus is a faithful Israelite who endures pain and suffering in obeying God for us. Let me read for you Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 2. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that he said before us. Doing what? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him did what? Endured the cross, despising the shame, and he seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Then the Bible teaches that Jesus persevered, the true faith for Israelites, persevered in face of the brutality of the cross. Jesus suffers, humanly speaking, defeat on the cross to bring us victory through his death and resurrection. And this means that, friends, if you are in Jesus this evening, you too must keep following God. 
through those painful moments of your life. Listen, not, not, only, not, not only because of who you are in Jesus, but because Jesus himself will help you. Jesus will help you because he's already endured the cross for you. And the good news is that you cannot fail at this. You can't fail. Why? Because your position is stated in Romans 8, verse 35 to 39. Oh, friends, who then shall separate us from the love of God, the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Verse 37, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is how safe and secure we are in Jesus. So no matter what battle you are facing, your attitude must be like Israel. Go back to verse 30 there. And the people of Israel went up against the people of Benjamin on the third day and set themselves in array against Gideon as at other times. When it got tough for Israel, they went out like other, other times. They keep going because victory is guaranteed. And you must do the same. Because victory is guaranteed for you in Christ. Now, I don't know as you sit here this evening what struggles you are currently facing. I don't know. I know some of the struggles some of you are facing, but I don't know precisely what it is for some of you even now. And, and perhaps you feel ashamed to share them even with someone in the fellowship because it's just too private or it's too difficult. Maybe you are currently battling a sin in your life and and this, result, this has resulted in you making some drastic changes in your life. You know sin is so difficult, and you're struggling against that sin, isn't it? And that has meant you making some big changes in your life so that you can stay clear of that sin. And it's very painful for you. Maybe you have some difficult situation in your home or at work, or perhaps with your neighbors that has become so painful for you. You are trying to serve God in that painful situation. You are trying to be a faithful wife. You are trying to be a faithful husband. Maybe you just want to be a faithful neighbor. But it's costing you a lot. You could be tempted just to run away from it, but you are sticking at it. Maybe you have some difficult situation in your personal health. Perhaps a physical or mental health. It is not getting better. And he has left you wondering, where is God in all of this? You are 40,000 soldiers down, so to speak, at the very bottom. Maybe you are trying to confront sin in the life of someone you love or even at the place of work. And you feel outnumbered. 40,000 soldiers down. It is hard. Maybe you are trying to just stand up for Jesus in your home and and you have relatives who are not followers of Jesus. And, and, and that's a, things are broken down there. Well, friends, this passage is saying to you, whatever situation you're in, that God is using that situation to grow you in it. So keep going. 
in the power of our Lord Jesus. If you are in Jesus, you have a God who never leaves nor forsakes you. So come to Jesus, entrust your life, that difficult challenge in his hands. Yes, down with 40,000. But keep pressing on. Because Jesus has already secured eternal life for you. And soon, we shall see the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells. Wounded. Are you wounded? Do you feel wounded? I feel wounded. Yes. Are you suffering loss? Yes. But like Israel, we must keep going like at other times. Keep going forward. But friends, if you hear this message today and you you have no desire to keep going. You, you still want the best life now and the appeal of a God who, who asks you to deny yourself and follow him just isn't doing it for you. If you're not willing to suffer, let me be blunt. It doesn't matter if you said the sinner's prayer. It doesn't matter if you're baptized in this church. It doesn't matter how committed outward do you look. If at the bottom line, you're not willing to die for yourself, then seriously speaking, you have not come to that position of conversion. Because you see, a truly converted person says, Lord, this is hard, but I'm surrendering to you. doesn't mean I'm, gonna be, I'm there yet, no. Lord, I'm, I love you, but this is hard. That, that's a converted person. But if your position is like, well, no, just, then there's no conversion there. That we, let's be honest with ourselves. You are Benjamin among the Israelites. I said this morning, you, you are a dead person in a hospital. I said this evening, if, if there's no desire for you to surrender to God in this way, then friend, you still want God on your terms and you are not yet converted. And that is terrible, isn't it? Because the wrath of God remains on you. Because we'll see next week what happens to those that stand against God's army, that stand against God's purposes. We'll see Benjamin, friends, completely wiped out. Why? Because God only gives us two options. Follow Jesus wherever he leads or face the wrath of God forever. It is a hard message. Either you deny yourself or you face the full wrath of God. There's no middle ground. And this, by his compassion, this evening is saying to you, follow Jesus. Surrender to him. Do not leave this place this evening without ensuring that you're truly standing with God, that you are following him. Well, may God help all of us to truly stand with him and to truly follow him wherever he leads us. Amen.